0: Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing, podcast number 93. This is Sunday, May 5th, 2017. And today's guest is an American concert organist, Wyatt Smith who is a native of Rapid City, South Dakota. Wyatt concertizes extensively throughout the United States by keeping an active concert schedule. He has performed in 28 states throughout the U.S. over the last seven years and more recently in Europe. Notable performance venues include the U.S. Air Force Academy Protestant Cadet Chapel in Colorado Springs, St. Thomas Church in New York, St. Mark's Episcopal Cathedral in Seattle, the Sprekers Organ Pavilion in San Diego, the National City Christian Church in Washington, D.C., among many others. He performed at the 2012 AGO National Convention in Nashville, Tennessee, as a rising star, having won the AGO Quimby Regional Competition for Young Organists, Region 6 in 2011. His performances have been heard on several episodes of American Public Media's "Pipe Dreams. Uh, His achievements in performance were recently recognized uh, when he was named as a member of the Class 2016 by the Diapasonous Programme 20 Under 30, which recognizes young leaders in the fields of organ, harpsichord, carillon, and church music. Wyatt has a passion for commissioning and performing new works for the organ. Over the last several years, he has commissioned premiered premier works by David Chervian, Carson Kuman, Emma Ludimer, Kurt Knecht, Christine Laglois, Pamela Roderfinster, and others. White is currently a doctoral student at the University of Washington in Seattle, where he studies organ performance with Dr. Carol Terry. He received his Master of Music degree from the Yale Institute of Sacred Music and the Yale School of Music studied organ performance with Dr. Mark Jean. His Bachelor of Music degree in organ performance is from the University of South Dakota, where he was an organ student of Dr. Larry Cho. Wyatt is the organist at St. Alphonsus Parish in Seattle, Washington, where he plays the Fritz Richards organ, He was four. So today we talk about Wyatt's career as an organist so far, Uh, How he first fell in love with the organ, uh, what pieces he played at the beginning, what was the most challenging thing for him, uh, what he is currently working on, and of course about his newest research on the latest compositions of Max Reger. Let's go to the show. So, Wyatt, thank you so much for joining in this conversation. Uh, We are so far away, right? You are in Seattle, uh, and I am in Vilnius, Lithuania, and uh, I think the difference between us is like 10 hours, right? You are on Pacific time.
1: Yes, uh, yes.
0: you are Early morning, uh, just, just probably got up. So, uh, <laughs> good morning, Wyatt, and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Excellent. This will be a fun podcast because You know, whenever we have this uh, great distance between us, we have a little bit of a sound delay. And uh, (laughs) on Zoom platform that we are using, uh, I would be talking something and uh, Wyatt would be, you know, Answering a question, and I would get a question right away and start asking and jumping back and forth with sound delays is a little bit tricky. Not that tricky, like like we would be on the moon or on the on Mars, but still have a second second or so of delay. Mm-hmm. So uh, Wyatt, let us start with this uh, wonderful ch- childhood memory you probably have about organs. Uh, how did you first? fell in love with the
1: organ. Well, it, it all started when my mom put me in soccer when I was in kindergarten and first grade, uh, and I absolutely hated it. Uh, oh. And so when I uh, entered second grade, my mom told me I had to do something, and for some reason I chose the piano. And uh, it was shortly after beginning piano lessons in second grade that I started paying attention to the organ in church and uh, just listening more to it. Uh, But the Sunday that I was sold on uh, the organ and wanting to play the organ was I saw my future teacher playing with her feet. Wow. And to this day, uh, pedal technique is one of my favorite things to work on, and it, it's it's still so fascinating after all these years.
0: I have this memory that uh, um, whoever uh, likes dancing should be fond of pedal playing too, because
1: it's so similar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though so I I don't know how good of a dancer I am, but
0: no, no, I, no. I, yes, yes. <laughs> Okay. We move it, the, the same thing. So mm. wonderful! And what happened? Uh, what what was the first instrument that you played? Uh, why do you remember? Uh
1: yeah, it was a uh, Rogers oh. digital instrument, just at the church I grew up at in Rapid City, South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, I think, a couple of years before I even played a pipe organ. Uh but. Uh, And I I don't even remember which pipe organ was the first one that I played. But uh, for my first four years of organ lessons, I started when I was in fifth grade. Um, They were on this Rogers. And then in high school, I had my regular lessons on a pipe organ. Wonderful.
0: Um, Yes, uh, electronic organs are um, very useful for practice purposes, right? You, you can have a decent size three, five, four, or even five manual instrument in your home or even studio. Yes. Uh, and, and uh, you know, you could try out hundreds of different combinations and you could be well prepared for, you know, organ recital career later on when you are practicing with, let's say three swell pedals and, mm-hmm. uh, or for the fifth <laughs> crescendo <laughs> pedals and many multiple buttons, pistons. Wonderful. So, uh, White, uh, um, what was the first piece that you played on the, on the organ? Do you remember?
1: Um, I I, don't remember the first piece, but I, I recall from my f- my first year lessons. Ah, hang on. Hang on. Okay. I scared myself a little bit. Um... Uh, Oh, my first year of organ lessons, I spent playing hymns and learning the liturgy. And uh, I I learned some small pieces out of uh, Floor Pater's little organ book. Uh, But I I remember the the first major work that I learned from the literature was my uh, freshman year in high school, which was the Prelude Fugue and Chaconne of Books mm. uh,
0: And
1: I, I still play that piece to this day. It's such a fun piece.
0: It's, I think, Book's WV 137, I think.
1: Yes, it's, that's right.
0: Mm-hmm, wonderful piece. Yeah, very virtuoso pedal line, still mm-hmm. fantasticus structure with multiple toccata-like, uh, figurations and some of the uh, fugal sections beautifully and at the end this beautiful Chakona like passages in the pedals varied yeah. over the manual lines is beautiful too was it
1: difficult yeah. this book the for you i uh, i don't remember it being uh difficult it was just uh uh just work um uh but I had fun. I had a lot of fun learning it and playing it. Uh, and every once in a while, I even go back and listen to that recording from 2000. Oh, crud! When was that? 2006 is when I played that for the first time. So it's it's been a while, but uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. yeah, it it was uh, uh it was the first time I ever played in a student organ recital. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun.
0: I remember uh, having an P- organ student uh, maybe a couple of years ago. She was, uh, she was majoring in art and she is going to graduate next year. Uh, she's no longer studying organ but uh, uh, wanted to play this me, uh, piece, the same that you're mentioning. And um, actually, it was very, very frustrating for her because she had uh, short, short legs, you know, and uh-huh. uh, could not reach very well the pedals. Uh, oh, she was a small, small girl, you know. And um, so we switched, I think, to the easier piece um, uh-huh. by by some of the Baroque composers. I don't remember, but yeah, it's not very easy to piece to master, especially towards the end, right? This and in in the fugue, to mm-hmm. the, the manual entrance and 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 the pedal part is quite a, easy. The first maybe page, right or so. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes tricky once the yeah. polyphony.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, one one thing I think that makes that piece uh, somewhat difficult is the the um large amount of varying sections you 're always changing characters after a few measures, uh, especially yeah. in the um, uh prelude uh, it you 're over here and then you're over there uh, mm-hmm. it it's uh the The notes might be easier than other pieces, but uh just making a conversation out of those different sections is where I think it it starts to um, uh, take on a new level.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, have you ever tried, why to, to reduce the polyphonic texture of this piece into, you know, chordal notation into continual, like, like almost like chords, but just the bass. The bass is preserved and then you add intervals. Uh, five, three would be uh, the root position chord. Six would be like Like six chord first inversion, and so on. It's possible to almost uh, simplify almost every book's Tehudeh's piece like this because uh, continual notation was common practice at the day. And those types of of, uh, polyphonic uh, fugues, uh, they are not too complex polyphonically, not like Bach, right? And uh, uh, there are some manuscripts preserved. Just like Buxtehudez, but with, with single line, and you have to decipher uh, and to make your own improvisation based on this baseline, and it would be
1: like Buxtehudez fugue. So have you tried this type of practice? I, I've never done that method of practice in that piece, but where I do employ that is in Bach trio sonatas especially Uh slow movements. Uh, You get all of these uh, uh, flourishes that cover up uh, the main harmony in each measure and can uh, in some ways bog down the tempo and remove the flow. So if you take away all of the the extra notes and just play the, the harmonic progression, you have this idea of how the harmonic rhythm rhythm moves forward and then you can put the ornamental flourishes back in to uh embellish
0: wonderful i, I haven't uh, thought about that way i know in box writing all three parts are independent but at the same time you have the harmony structure skeleton right mm-hmm. all the time. but when you simplify that and and sort of imagine being like a like a continual player, like a harpsichord player in this four-people four ensemble, right? Uh, flute, maybe violin for the hands, and then cello, right? Mm-hmm. If cello with the uh, viol- violon, uh, that would be like a con- uh, double bass, yes. uh, because you have to double an octave lower, and plus the harpsichordist, five people playing these three canatas. And there actually there are beautiful recordings like this of these pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yes, harpsichordists would be playing chords probably.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Good idea. I I think uh, our organists around the world uh, from eighty nine countries can uh, can relate to this. And whenever they play a Bach piece or a Baroque piece which is polyphonically complex with counterpoints uh, double counterpoints invertible counterpoints they can um, decipher the texture and make it reduce it into chords and try try what kind of chords are there right Uh, in in each probably in each beat maybe or twice a measure Uh, however often this uh, changes right yes So, uh, very interesting idea, Wyatt. Um, And um, uh, can you tell me, uh, what was the most challenging thing for you when you learned those trio sonatas?
1: Uh, For for me, learning a trio sonata is uh, not to have one voice be the dominant voice that all three are in conversation um, and, and give each voice, it's, it's independence in, in context. Um, But at the base of that, it's, I do everything in my power just to keep it together and not let one voice go running off a side path. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, when I practice trio sonatas, uh, most of the time it's practicing right hand and pedal, left hand pedal, hands together and which helps solidify uh these different parts and different combinations and how each of these parts relates to another without the third. Uh, yeah. And and I, I think that really helps form a foundation to go out and perform these pieces with confidence. Uh,
0: wonderful idea to practice triosonatas in uh combinations of two voices do you know why it, uh, why most people fail at at this at learning trio sonatas they, they love these pieces right and would mm-hmm. they would play them you know what's the number one reason i found out is they they skip skip the first step they they never practice single lines you know yes uh, long enough for long enough and uh, they jump into into playing two part combinations right away which of course is tricky yes tricky yeah mm-hmm. wonderful i remember actually uh, playing these these sonatas some of them in public have you played them in public too
1: oh yeah yeah i've played 3 of the 6 trio sonatas uh-huh. uh, c minor c major and E minor um, are the three I've done.
0: I haven't played, I think, D minor and E minor. Other than that, I've I played them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my experience with trio sonatas in public were not that great. I Somehow I was, you know, so, so, uh, so energetic, and I thought, you know, ambitious maybe. Oh, trio sonatas, I like can master, and I could could play them during, you know, some of the easier pieces uh, when, when I'm playing all Bach recital, right? But that wasn't easy at all. Even the first E-flat major sonata, for me, it's it's quite quite. You know, cha- very challenging. When I practice, it's not too challenging, you know. But mm-hmm. so, when somebody else
1: is listening, that's a, the tricky part. Yeah. Yes. Well, oh, agree. W- yeah. What One thing I, I've experienced when playing trio sonatas in concert uh, is that th- they're such delightful pieces, and audiences enjoy listening to them. But uh, unless The people in the audience are organists. They they don't realize that those are some of the hardest pieces we play. Because the texture is so thin, you have to be spot on when when you play it. And uh, on these concerts, I I might play Vierne Symphony Movements or Mendelssohn Sonata, but it's usually the trio sonata that I I I get a little antsy about playing uh, just because it is so thin and uh, you have to play it just right to pull it off.
0: Exactly, exactly. We share the same common experience. You know, people would appreciate uh, dramatic toccatas and fantasies and improvisations so so much, uh, you know, with bombard registration. And this is understandable. But when you play these three virtuoso, but very elegant lines, they think, oh, that's really fun. Mm-hmm. And fun, but a different kind of fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> <Different laughs> you yeah. are constantly on the line, like we say, cow on the ice. Yes. Do you have this expression, cow on the ice?
1: No, I I haven't heard that, but I, I'm trying to think of what we, what we do have. It'll come to me eventually.
0: Yeah, like yeah. like it's very slippery, right? And you yes. have yes. something to hold on. Maybe pedal line would be a good good yeah. part to hold on to.
1: When I was in my undergraduate degree, uh, in my freshman year, my professor, Dr. Larry Scow, had me learn two triosnadas, the C minor and the C major, and uh, he was the one that taught me to practice um, in these dual combinations, following learning each uh, uh, each line individually. And one thing he emphasized was practicing the pedal line first, and then uh, bringing in the combination of right-hand pedal, left-hand pedal, because in reality, it's, uh, the pedal that holds these two parts together—it's very much the basso continuo um, of these two soloist lines. That's right. Yeah,
0: that's right. It helps. It helps to think of the of the baseline as basso continuo, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and then it it glues them together, right? And you feel like like you're you are actually managing correctly and uh, feeling more secure, right?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Wonderful. Uh, And Wyatt, uh, uh, what did you go for the graduate degree?
1: I attended Yale University's School of Music and Institute of Sacred Music as Uh a student of Martin Sheen.
0: Wonderful. Uh, give my regards to Martin Jean if you, if you, if you meet him because uh, I think almost one year ago I talked uh, with him uh, on this podcast because yeah. the entire uh, organ department of the Yale University went to visit the Baltic States. And um, as part of this trip, they visited my church, too, in Vilnius University, St. John's Church. They played, we had a master class there. And uh, uh, Professor Martin Dean graciously agreed to have a beautiful conversation. We had a real cup of cappuccino. Uh, together with you, Wyatt, we are having a virtual cup of cappuccino. Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> Over coffee with professor martin jean for for a long time and was fun wonderful person i I bet he was a great mentor to you
1: he was absolutely uh, i I had the opportunity to do four degree recitals um, as a student of his um, and the one, the first one of those four is still one of my favorite performances I gave it w- it was on the Uh, mean-tone tailor-and-booty instrument at Yale Divinity School. And uh, I did an entire program of North German repertoire, including Matthias Fechmann's uh, seven verses on Es ist das Heil. And just having uh, just this thrilling feeling when you get to the end of the sixth verse, which is a... Wonderful Krell fantasia, and wow. uh, it's it's just awesome. And he really helped me bring that music to life on that instrument. Is it was, it was yes, a lot of fun. Uh,
0: this cycle, as is does Heil probably is a a pinnacle of, of North German North German choral writing. Right. Mm-hmm. This particular fantasia is so long. Right. It yeah. has maybe five parts together and you have you have sometimes uh, two voices in each hand on two separate mm-hmm. vocals, I think and yeah with echo effects it's so it's so similar to how music was made in in Weckmann's day poly, polychoral music italianate tradition right when mm-hmm. when examples would stand in different balconies and singers with instrumentalists would be contrasted and uh, and uh, playing in dialogues and duets wonderful
1: yeah
0: uh, i'm so delighted you played this piece and uh, yeah. this <laughs> entire cycle. do you remember why um, the i think the the part where the uh, left hand has to play with the sixteen foot trumpet it's, Yes. In case, uh, maybe third verse yeah. i think.
1: That's right. The third verse. Yes.
0: Verse, verse, and, and the tenor part is played by the pedal trumpet, right? And yes. then right-hand soprano and alto uh, is played by the principles, maybe eight foot or eight and four. I mm-hmm. believe you can use this combination if principles are gentle enough. Doesn't it remind you of... Uh, of a wonderful instrumental ensemble, uh, you know, trumpet, of course, and bombarde in the, in the, in the left hand, like a real, um, I don't know, wind instrument or say, right? Yeah. Um, it's, Put, this music is so enchanting.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and playing, especially that cycle, you become a consort of instruments. And mm-hmm. you, you, you really have to keep that in mind when, bringing that music to life you're you're playing the music that four or five people just like with trio sonatas, would be playing but you have to do that that same amount of music making as a single musician
0: Yes, uh, like a uh, early human orchestra right uh, yes. <laughs> today we can play uh, organ arrangements, transcriptions from real symphonies, but in back in that day, seventeenth century middle of seventeenth century, that was probably as far as the, as people went uh, uh, right imitating orchestras or ensembles in that day beautiful yeah. <laughs> um so, uh, uh, Wyatt, and um, what are you practicing right now? Have you, by the way, pra- you you haven't uh, had the time in, uh, to practice this morning, no? Probably no, not. Yeah, no. But you probably today. What will you practice today?
1: Um, well, that, that's a great question. There, there's so much to practice at this point. Um, uh, probably somewhere today, I'll practice some. Uh, continual work for uh, 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 the Baroque Ensemble concert at the University of Washington coming up in a couple weeks. And also Mm -hmm. on that concert, I'm playing uh, Bach's double harpsichord concerto in C major. Uh, I think it's 1061. I'm playing the second harpsichord in that, so I'll probably practice that at some point today. And um, I I have some notes to learn. Uh, I'm actually doing a performance for the North Central Regional Convention of the AGO in June. They've uh, contracted me to give the premiere of five new works for the organ written by composers under 30. And uh, so I'm in the midst of learning those works at the moment. Uh, there are a couple of them that that have some very, very tricky sections that I'm starting to pull my hair out, but um, I'll, I'll get there eventually. It's just a lot of slow practice, slow and meticulous.
0: Do you compose music yourself, Wyatt?
1: No, I don't. <laughs> I, I leave that to people who do it much better. I, I'm a trained organist. And uh, I leave it to composers who uh, work on their craft like I work on mine.
0: Wonderful. What stops you from composing? <laughs> I,
1: I've just, you, I've just
0: you, never... Oh. Uh, let me interrupt you. Before you answer this question, let me ask a different one before, okay? Do you have an inner, sometimes inner urge to compose or not, not at all?
1: Uh, every once in a while, but usually that has manifested itself in composing, uh, different versets, uh, proper versets for Sundays, different Sundays of the church year. Um, but those are only a few measures long. Um, uh-huh. and I can do that in a half hour or an hour, uh, without too much effort, but anything beyond that, um, I, I leave it to the professionals. But on on the other hand, I do improvise. Okay. Um, so it's, uh, the same,
0: right? your, it's not written, but uh, it's spontaneous music making. And if you record, actually, do you record your improvisations,
1: Wyatt? I, I haven't recently. Back, back when I was in my master's program, I did record some of my improvisations. Um, mm-hmm just to go back and be able to study the structure and uh, different aspects um, as I was studying improvisation as part of the program.
0: Mm -hmm. So if you record, for example, your improvisation and upload to your YouTube channel, uh, you know, YouTube has this wonderful feature of reducing or um, speeding up the tempo by half. You can listen to entire piece or anything, actually any video there, half speed. 50% slower, which means that, uh, you know, you get to to write down some things. It's like a long musical dictation, but mm-hmm. it's, I've written down some of my improvisation this way, some of more successful pieces that I wanted to preserve, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, with multiple repetitions, it's possible. And uh, it's really fun because it also develops my air training too.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow!
0: Wonderful! You see how technology facilitates creati- creativity today. You don't even have to worry about writing down things so much today. If you can be fluent in producing music on the fly, that's almost you know it's almost enough. It's like uh, it's like uh, um, transcribing text from speech to, to written down, you know, this machine softwares are getting better better by the day. And mm-hmm. very, very. Right. So wonderful. Um, and um, can you tell us a little bit about your work, uh, Wyatt? Uh, uh, what it is that you do?
1: Um, well, currently here in Seattle, uh, I'm pursuing my, doctoral degree at the University of Washington with uh, Dr. Carol Terry. Um, so, so that's a, a main focus right now, but I'm also at St. Alphonsus Parish, Seattle, where I play a beautiful tracker organ by Paul Fritz and Ralph Richards. Mm-hmm. And uh, be- between those two things, it keeps me very busy, but I still find time to travel and perform. So,
0: yeah. wonderful. So you have uh, an active uh, um, church uh, church musicians' life and also yes. a researcher, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What is your research about mainly today?
1: Um, most of my research currently focuses on uh, the life and works of Max Reger, um, mm-hmm. specifically. Uh, the works composed in the last couple of years of his life, both organ and orchestral and choral pieces.
0: What opus numbers are there uh, at the at, at the end of his life? Uh, do you remember?
1: Well, uh, the main works that that I'm focusing on are his Opus 145, uh, okay. which are the the seven pieces uh, that. The, the most famous of these works is the third, Weihnachten, uh, uh-huh. which uh, features that, that wonderful duet at the end of Vom Himmel hoch, from heaven above, uh, and Stille Nacht uh, together uh, I- in dialogue. And it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, but this set also features the Trauerode, and the Dank Psalm, Uh which which are a wonderful musical pairing. Uh, The Donk Psalm is is performed every once in a while, but the Traor Ode, these days are, it's not often performed, or at least I've never heard it performed live. And Uh I'll be learning those two works later this year for my lecture recital. Uh, But, uh, besides that, the the other main opuses I'm looking at are Opus 144, A, and B, which is uh, his Requiem and Der Einsiedler. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's fascinating to put all of this in context of World War I.
0: Wonderful. Reger's uh, uh, last pieces are not that often performed. I've heard it. uh, I think uh, Requiem once, yes, Mm -hmm. but only once. Uh, And uh, and his music is so colorful and so full of chromatical language, late romantic. But at the same time, it's highly contrapuntal, right? Yes, Uh, highly contrapuntal, like uh, Brahms's. So to say, Mm, of course, Bach was big influence, and Brahms. Uh, to him, on him, probably. Um, so I think when you uh, touch the music of these masters, probably you feel the rhythm of of their lives too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, it's it's so fascinating to play the the works of Reger because it it's truly unlike anything else. You you have to go into his sound world, and uh, what those organs uh, sounded like and how they were played, just like you would for playing North German Baroque music or uh, playing Frank and playing Kavai-Kohls. Um But it, it takes a little more effort with Reger because, at least in the United States, um, there are very, very few German romantic-inspired instruments. Uh, so many instruments are built on French models or American classic models and whatnot. Um so it it takes going over to Germany and, and exploring instruments um and just Germany itself to start appreciating the life of Reger more than from a book.
0: Do you speak German then?
1: Uh not yet. I'm working on it.
0: <laughs> you're pronouncing it very well, actually. The, the, sure. I, yes. Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: does uh, do you know the issue of tempo in Reger's works? Of course. Uh, how how different is uh, Reger's tempo indication from real performance practice, or or do do you play that that, that fast as as hero?
1: No, I. Uh, what, what I remember uh, from, from my research is it, if if Rager indicated a tempo or an affect that, for the most part, that should be the fastest it's played. Um, so it, it, many of these works can be played a lot slower because he, he uh, writes out so many of these compositions with small diminutions. A lot of his works have... 30-second notes on end. And uh, if you begin the piece too fast, those 30-second notes will become a blur. Whereas if you pull back the tempo and let those notes sing, the the piece uh, comes to life a bit more.
0: Exactly. Pull back the tempo. Yes. The fast tempo, the slow tempo can remain... probably
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. um,
0: excellent, so that thirty second uh, note flourishes and passages uh, could uh, could be clearly heard, especially in live ac- lively acoustics right
1: exactly Mm-hmm.
0: wonderful you know you hit that you hit here very important issue. Uh, Why about performing music too fast sometimes? Vidor didn't like his uh, toccato you know, to be played too fast, mm-hmm. and Reger probably also. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, of course, Karl Straube was his advisor, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know how he advised Straube to play Reger's pieces?
1: No, not not off the top of my head.
0: Mm-hmm. But but he edited. We heavily edited yes. many of.
1: Uh, Yeah,
0: yeah, and um, and even even cut out some parts from from some of the pieces, right? Make them short. Right. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking? Opus 135.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh,
0: Yes. Yeah, and Fugue in D minor,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, the famous one. Yes, Uh, but have you played this piece before? By the
1: way. N- not 135b. Uh, the, the the two main works of Rager that I regularly play are his Introduction Pascalia in D without opus, and then uh, his Crawl Fantasy on Fischernreucht, Unster uh, Morgenstern. And uh, I, I actually worked on that at Yale, Woolsey Hall. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that was uh, interesting in itself, uh, bringing that music to this American symphonic instrument. But then I resurrected the Crawl fantasy this past fall for the Rager Symposium we hosted here in Seattle, on the, uh, and I played it on the famous flintrop at mm-hmm. St. Mark's Cathedral. And several months before that performance, I started working out at the gym with a personal trainer to get me ready to play that work, um, which I, I ended up playing the majority of it on all manuals coupled so that I could, you know, make the, the smallest uh, dynamic changes and playing from the great or positive and uh, bring in a stop from the swell. But that all takes effort. It's very, heavy action is this organ is uh, very large.
0: Mm-hmm. And you had completely different experiences, right? From Woolsey yes. Hall, symphonic um, instrument, which is more geared toward French music, right? French
1: And, and uh, um, transcriptions is transcriptions. really what uh, Woolsey Hall plays. It has so many uh, solo and color stops. Uh, which it, it's, it's a wonderful organ in and of itself uh, for that purpose. But the flintrop is, is something very different and a, and a different sound world.
0: Yeah, it is still, you know, ancient sound uh, like in, in normal uh, flintrop tradition. And uh, I've heard this, heard, had this conversation with Roger Sherman, um, about his recording, very early recording about on this organ, which he recently released. Actually, on this podcast we talked about that. It's it's very suitable for baroque music, of course. But uh, people make adjustments. If you cleverly adjust registration and um, bend it a little bit, the tradition you might quite satisfactorily uh, perform Reger's works too, probably.
1: Yeah. Uh, th- that that chop really can play almost everything i i know some people have played howls on it um i haven't played howls on that instrument yet because um, i've run out of keys at the top of the keyboard uh, in the d-flat rhapsody um but pretty much everything i've brought there i've been able to Pull it off successfully with with some minor changes and adjustments uh, to manual order and uh, stops mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: that 's why it's so important to train organists into um, adjusting to real situations from different organs. you know you have uh, organ registration indications in in many cases, right? In most cases, probably especially in French tradition, they write, they write down very detailed registration um, uh, indications, and in other pieces too, but then you you switch organs, you travel across the country, or even internationally, with the same repertoire, mm-hmm. adjusting to different organs is, is really a challenge, don't yeah. you think?
1: Yes, well, that, that's uh, something that's that makes the Oregon department at here at the university of Washington, uh, somewhat unique, um, because we don't have a large instrument on campus. We do many of our lessons and recitals in the main churches in Seattle and surrounding areas. And, uh, I've told several people this, that, uh, with all of the different organs, I play and practice on here in Seattle, um, I never play an organ regularly with an AGO standard pedal board. Um, most of them are flat pedal boards of varying kinds, or like the, the Flentrop at St. Mark's Cathedral has an AGO standard pedal board, but it's offset by one note. So that that's a little alteration you have to make in your mind if you're going to play the right notes. Um, and it really makes us versatile. Um, whereas some other schools, there's just the main performance instrument that you have your lessons on and you do your recitals. Nice. So I, I, I think that's a strength of the university of Washington, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Oregon department. And uh, I I've had much experience with, being flexible over the years Um, since I started performing concerts in 2010. I was usually on two different organs a week there for a period of time and uh, traveling for the most part with the same repertoire uh, and just have have to accommodate different organs uh, and their stop lists and voicing and whatnot.
0: So different styles, different traditions of organ building don't scare you, right? It's, it's more of a challenge and a curiosity that leads you forward than, than fear of failure. Yes,
1: exactly. I, I told my current teacher, Carol Terry, that I will never again be scared of, a, of an EP, an electro instrument, having performed in Woolsey and uh-huh. used all of those swell boxes and divisional pistons and uh just grabbing stops with the hand um, so it's a, since i was able to o- overcome that instrument to a point i i feel that anywhere else i go even though it's not woolsey hall i i know how to poke pistons and use swell boxes and whatnot mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yes, and, uh, you know, a lot of people are uh, struggling to adjust. They they are traveling the world with just one type of instrument uh, at the hand, maybe. There are some people like that, and they are virtuosos on their instrument. But they remind me of like a violinist would uh, carry their own instrument <laughs> always in case. Uh, but then we have a great challenge adjusting to different kind of violin Right, mm-hmm. yeah. we are going to start blessed actually to because of the variety, enormous variety of, of instruments we encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. So, uh, what would what's your probably least least uh, uh, let me say it this way uh, least successful uh, adjustment. Uh, public performance have you had this experience when you really really had to struggle uh, on this organ what was that
1: there there are a a few concerts that uh resound in my memory that that they just kind of went over like a lead balloon and uh one, one of those concerts was very early in my performance career I think was back in 2011 I was performing at uh, Trinity United Methodist in downtown Denver on a beautiful four manual uh, late 19th ce- or yeah, late 19th century uh, Roosevelt instrument uh, an American built instrument and I, I had never encountered um, a Roosevelt organ before or really knew the history of the instrument and the, the kinds of sounds it had. So I I, I remember, I think the, the first half of that program was Bach and Buxehude, and I listened back to that recording, and I'm like, the, I, I didn't play that organ the way it was supposed to be played. And I've heard Bach and even French classic played on that instrument, very successfully it's just i I went in there with uh, a sound model from a different instrument, and I tried to apply that to this Roosevelt instrument, and it didn 't come off well at all uh-huh. so so
0: would have worked better what you think uh, would have saved
1: your recital uh, if you did it differently if I did differently i'd um, probably play different music. Oh, <laughs> um, um, I I probably keep at least one work of Bach, but work harder at maybe coupling down some stops from the pedal or maybe a reed from the pedal and uh, using some four-foot couplers and whatnot to add uh, some brightness to the sound as uh, this organ ha- very much unison stops and, and uh, a wide foundation. Uh, but on, on that recital itself, I did play Frang and Elin. So that that came off a lot better than the Bach, but uh, uh, it it counterbalanced. But even then, the, the Bach was somewhat of a flop. I see.
0: Um, if you played it legato, let's say, in the romantic tradition. Would, would that be, you know, a better
1: choice? I I absolutely think it would. I, I probably wouldn't go so far as um, getting Dupre's editions of Bach and playing from that, but accommodating the organ uh, in my touch, I think would bring Bach off a, quite a lot better um, I, I remember a few years ago, I was performing on the great Spreckles organ at a bull park in San Diego, California. And I opened that to uh, that recital with the Toccata in F major of Bach, uh, BWV 540. And because that instrument is, is outdoors. It, it really doesn't have a, a sounding chamber that collects the acoustic. Um, and that toccata, it, it felt like I was going against every grain in my being that I played it almost the whole thing over legato to uh, really let it sound good. Because it. I had played with a, a detaché and uh, normal uh, Baroque touch, it would have sounded pokey and Mm -hmm. uh, disjointed. So you needed to, uh, I needed to accommodate that and the lack of acoustic uh, to pull off a piece like that.
0: Very smart choice. I think, Uh, you know, you could have avoided that piece altogether, but if you wanted to play it, Probably legato and and a different type of touch would have been really it was mm-hmm. actually a smart choice yeah. because uh, this was an environment of 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 uh, different kind of style, right? 20th century beginning style mm-hmm. uh, where everyone played legato, everyone played played, played symphonic and transcription music. Uh, everyone was was sort of different uh, way of thinking and different uh, type of writing, different kind of musical language too. Um, although some of the composers thought they are continuing Bach tradition too, especially in, in Dupre's days in, in France. Well, but but you were smart. In, in this case, it really worked. Yeah. Wonderful. So you see uh, how adjusting to different organs is, is a must to, to, to our... Common, uh, you know, our colleagues across the world, and I hope they will, they will look differently. Or, you know, I teach people baroque music to be played with articulation. Probably, you would teach that the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. But in extreme cases, in emergencies, in, maybe right, you yeah. have to forget that. You have to mm-hmm. think like a romantic, yeah, like like a twenty. 20th century, first half, right? Uh, organist, yeah. Uh, and that really helps. That really helps.
1: It does. Um, Absolutely.
0: Wonderful. So, um, so I'm so uh, enjoyed this conversation, uh, Wyatt. Today, it's it, You opened uh, your wor- world world uh, to us. You know, uh, let uh, letting closer to your uh, ideas and we talked about rieger and weckman and the uh, double har- harpsichord concerto in c major which you will be doing shortly even today you will be practicing i hope mm-hmm. great and your first piece from Flor floor peter's uh, uh, method book right which was just the beginning of your your wonderful career that you you started and still continue to develop wonderful and your your experiences with your mentor Martin Jean and of course today with uh, Carol Terry uh, give my regards to her I hope uh, to interview her one day on this podcast too so wonderful uh, I wish all the success and um, creativity this year um, uh, Wyatt and uh, Keep me, keep me posted. Uh, let me know about your future developments, okay? And uh, before we close, I think pe- people around the world would be curious to know more about your world. So, could you give our listeners a link where they yes. can find your world uh, online?
1: Uh, you can find my website at dash organist dot
0: com uh-huh Wyatt with double t right
1: yes mm-hmm
0: Smith dash organist excellent organist organist.com I will I will include this link so that people can literally click click on it and visit your site what what will they find there can you describe a little bit
1: Um, I primarily update it with uh, uh, a list of upcoming concerts. I also keep a record of past concerts where where I've played. Um, uh, One of these days when I'm not so busy with school, I need to do an overhaul and uh, uh, get information online about My new recording that I released last fall on the Raven label. Um, I recorded on a beautiful 1925 Ernest M. Skinner, Oregon, in Vermilion, South Dakota. So uh, I'll I'll get that on my website eventually.
0: Wonderful. So uh, I've been to Vermilion, it's wonderful place, very cold in the in the winter, but they have fantastic instrument museum, right?
1: Absolutely. I, I was absolutely spoiled rotten getting to play harpsichords and forte pianos over there uh during my undergrad and I very much much miss uh being able to just Go, was it four or five blocks to the other side of the campus from the school of music to play these beautiful instruments
0: wonderful so uh, i will i will make sure to include this link into the description of this conversation and uh, hopefully people around the world will visit your site and get to know more about you your future developments thank you so much Wyatt and uh, Keep producing, keep practicing,
1: and good luck with this double harpsichord concerto. Thank you, and thank you for having me here.
0: If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt, where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Spincavitus. Thanks for listening. and I will catch you online really soon.